The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Story now proclaim a sign. 
Come quickly, Lord Jesus. That's the cry of my heart. There isn't anything remaining in this world that I have an interest in except the coming of Jesus Christ and the building of his kingdom. I have been spending a great deal of time in recent weeks searching the scriptures to understand when does Jesus come again? When does Jesus return for his people? That seems to be a burning question among many who call themselves Christian. The answers for that question are varied. And there are many disagreements. Everyone seems to have his own particular definition of when Jesus will come. Some speak with great assurance. I listened to a, a world-renowned pastor yesterday as he spoke about the second coming of Jesus. And he had everything laid out very carefully. problem was, when I went to the scriptures that he suggested, gave him the meanings that he was choosing, I could not find what he was saying in the scriptures. And I had to say, wait a minute. What is our base of authority for when Jesus will come? Is it your tradition? Is it what you've been taught? Or is it literally... What the scriptures say? I have struggled with this question of scripture all of my life. I was born and raised in the Seventh-day Adventist church. As I went through graduate school, getting my Master's of Divinity, I had many, many questions that I asked professors. They were not always happy with my questions. For example, the Seventh-day Adventist Church believes that there is an investigative judgment and that it's going on now. I said, where is that in the scriptures? And they could not show me. They taught me that keeping Sunday was the mark of the beast. I asked them, where can you show me that in scripture? And they could not. They told me that the spirit of prophecy, Jesus was the spirit of prophecy. But of course, they identified their prophetess as the spirit of prophecy. I asked, where is that in Scripture? And they could not show me. I could go on and on with many things they taught that are absolutely false. I learned a great deal from them, however, and one of the things that I learned from the Seventh-day Adventist, and I have not been a Seventh-day Adventist for probably 35 or 40 years, but one of the things they taught me that has stuck, that has profited me greatly, and that was that 
The scripture is the final authority for what God wants us to be and do. And everything must be checked by the scriptures. It was that very teaching that caused me to leave the Seventh-day Adventist Church because I could not find the teachings of that denomination in the pages of scripture. I had to go to extra-biblical sources to find the answer. And I rejected it. When I went to the Dutch Reformed, I likewise could not find in the Reformed teachings that it was based on the scriptures. I looked at a number of different denominations. The only place that I could find where a denomination honestly met the test was in the teachings of John Wesley. My grandpa was a Methodist. My grandma was a Methodist. So I began to pay more and more attention to what they taught, but then I had to go to the scriptures, and I found that in the scriptures, the modern Methodist church utterly fails and does not teach the word of God. So today I am a non-denominationalist, I am an independent, I am a follower of Jesus Christ, and I am a, a follower of the word of the living God. And if it is not in the scriptures, I don't want it. I believe the scriptures are inspired. I believe that the scriptures are the final, authoritative word of God. I believe there are prophecies today. I believe that there are wonderful teachings today. But in my mind, they all have to be tested against the scriptures. Is this word of knowledge coming out of the teaching of Scripture, or is it contrary? If it is contrary to the Scriptures, I put it in the garbage can. If a prophecy cannot be tested according to the word of Scripture, I'm not interested. Do I believe in the gifts of the Spirit? Absolutely, I find that taught in the scriptures. But I do not find any evidence in the scriptures that we should pay attention to the teachings of man. And unfortunately today on this question of when will Jesus return, we have a great deal of man teaching. Now, before I identify the heirs, I want to go to the truth. My dad, one day when I was just a boy, said, Ray, Raymond, he called me. Raymond, how can you tell a counterfeit dollar bill from a real dollar bill? I said, Daddy, I don't know. 
He said, you study the real dollar bill, and then when you find a counterfeit, it will feel wrong, it will look wrong, and when you compare it to the real deal, you'll understand quickly that it is a counterfeit. Likewise, all of the teachings that I receive, I have to examine carefully in the light of the scriptures. And if it disagrees with what the scripture teaches, without man's interpretation, with this simple hermeneutic that we read everything in context. I have challenged several on proof texting. And they have said to me, but the Apostle Paul proof text and the Apostle Peter proof text, well, yes, they may have, but I cannot because I'm not an apostle. So I want to read everything in context. I want to read it in the context of the surrounding scriptures and understand what's being said. I want to begin today in Matthew with the words of Jesus in the seventh chapter. I'll begin reading in verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate, and the word in the Greek is suffering. Enter through the the suffering affliction gate, the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small, or literally, but groaning is the gate, And suffering affliction is the narrow road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets or false teachers. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Now, let me stop just a moment. I'm trying to lay a foundation for what we're going to look at in the scriptures. It is not contrary to what you may have believed It is not a personal relationship with Jesus that gives us entrance into heaven. According to Jesus, it is doing the will of his Father who is in heaven. Now, does that involve a personal commitment to Jesus? Yes, it does. But it is not a sloppy sentimental relationship with Jesus Christ. It is an honest relationship based on being transformed by the Holy Spirit 
being washed by his blood, the blood of Jesus, being made into a new creature, and walking away from all known sin, being transformed, made new. Verse 22, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons? And perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Some of you have been taught the lie of unconditional love. Jesus nowhere and nowhere in the scriptures, Old or New Testament, is it ever taught that Jesus has unconditional love for his people. Just the opposite is taught. We're taught in scripture that Jesus offers conditional salvation based on obedience to his word. Now, that obedience is not white-knuckling it. It is being transformed by the blood of Jesus. It is the work of the Holy Spirit, and it is by faith. My salvation is by faith alone in the blood of Jesus Christ, and that blood totally transforms my life. The new birth is literally a a new birth. Read carefully Romans, the sixth chapter. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, verse 24, and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Now, let's be very clear together. When does Jesus come again. I'm going to walk today and tomorrow through a number of scriptures that will very clearly answer the question, when does Jesus come again? Not the date of his coming, but the historical events that must take place to open the way for Jesus to return to his people. Today, there is a very popular teaching. And that teaching is that there is going to be a secret catching away of God's people. That suddenly, Christians are going to just disappear. They're going to disappear in thin air. They're going to leave their clothes behind and all of their possessions, and they're going to be caught up with the Lord in the air And if they're driving a car, the car will crash. If they're flying an airplane, the airplane will crash. It is called the secret rapture. I spoke with a brother today in Texas who told me that this teaching is rampant in Texas. 
that this is basically what the Christian church believes. It's important that we go to Scripture and let the Scripture tell us what to believe. Now, some of you are going to have a hard time with this, but I urge you, please don't turn aside, but instead, listen. And let me present the Scriptures for what they actually say, not what we would interpret them to say, with some preconceived notion. The whole secret rapture theology has only been around for about a hundred years, and some early fathers, I believe one, made reference to believing this, but the predominant teaching of the Christian church through the centuries has been that Jesus will return at the end of the tribulation and that Christians are going to go through the great tribulation. But let's just read the scriptures and see what they say. If all else fails, as my dear brother used to say, if all else fails, read the directions. Well, here are the directions. I'm going to begin in 1 Thessalonians, the fourth chapter. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, hagios, made holy. Nowhere in the scripture, nowhere in the New Testament, is hagios to be sanctified, to be made holy. Never is that in the future tense. It is always in the present tense. The significance of that is that there is no future time for salvation. Hebrews 3 and 4, today is the day of salvation. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for all such sins, as we've already told you and warned you. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God who gives you his Holy Spirit. This is the context now of what I'm going to share with you. Now, about brotherly love, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. In fact, you do love all the brothers throughout Macedonia, yet we urge you, brothers, do so more and more. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders, and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. 
Okay, that's the context of of this fourth chapter, where now he's going to address the question of what happens when we die, and when will Jesus come? Brothers, this is verse 13. This is 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13. Jot down these scriptures and go back and carefully read them as I'm doing today. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. Now notice, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud shout or a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Now, I want to show you in verse 16, the Lord is going to come down with a loud command, with a voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Do you notice it's not a quiet affair? It's a very public affair. We'll read later in... Matthew, the 24th chapter, that it's going to be like lightning from east to west, that even those who pierced him are going to see him. Every eye will see him as he comes. This is not a secret rapture. This is not a secret coming of Jesus. It is a very public coming. Then it says, After that, we who are still alive and left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so you have a loud command. You have the trumpet call. You have the dead in Christ rising. Then you have the living elect who will also rise in the air to meet the Lord in the clouds. This is the second coming of Jesus. There is no prior coming of Jesus. There's no secret rapture. It's not found anywhere in the scriptures. The passage I just read is the favorite passage to prove that there will be a rapture. The word rapture simply means caught up. But I want to tell you, there is no, there is nowhere in the scriptures that you will find where it tells us 
that Jesus is going to come secretly. Now, we do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us be like, not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. So, Christians are not going to suffer wrath, but we are going to suffer the tribulation. The tribulation is not the wrath of God. It's the wrath of the Antichrist. Yes, the Lord is going to release upon this earth great judgments. But those of us who are Christian will be hidden in his hand. Now, there's another passage of Scripture we need to turn to that's another favorite of those who want to read a secret rapture. Let me read it for you. It's found in 2 Thessalonians, the second chapter. I'm going to begin reading for you in the first verse. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report, or letter, supposed to have come from us, saying that the day of the Lord has already come. Now, I'm going to tell you very honestly, one of the next things you're going to hear, I don't know when, but I know it's coming, you're going to hear that there was a secret rapture of the church, and you have been left behind. Paul is saying, don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness or the Antichrist is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped. so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Don't you remember, when I used to be with you, I used to tell you these things. And now you know what is holding him back, so that he may be revealed at the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so until he is taken out of the way. The one holding back the vile flood of darkness has been the Holy Spirit. 
And now the Holy Spirit is being pulled back. And we see the vile flow of perversion and every evil thing taking front and center stage in the mainstream media, in Hollywood, in the leadership of our nation. I have never in my life seen a president so scorned, so disliked by those who had the value of the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. When they're talking, they're lying. They've lied about COVID. They've lied about the jab. They've lied about the money. America is broke. We're entering a time of truly desperate, desperate devastation. It says, verse 8, this is Second Thessalonians 2, verse 8, And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth, and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion, so that they will believe the lie, and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth, but have delighted in wickedness. The Christian church in America today delights in wickedness, teaches that there is going to be a secret rapture, and teaches that you can be saved in the midst of your sin, that you do not have even the ability to leave your sin. The great delusion is now coming full strength to America. But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers, loved by the Lord, because from the beginning God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the teaching we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. In other words, Christians are going to be known by the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through a belief in the truth. The American church has believed lies. The result has been we have lost all power to be salt and light in the American culture, and we are scorned by the pagans. We are laughed at because we have not been sanctified 
as a church. And we have departed from the truth. And we have believed lies, like a secret rapture. We have believed the lies of once saved, always saved. We have believed the lie of unconditional love. We have believed the lie that you can continue to walk in your sin and still be saved. These lies have stripped the power of the gospel to transform a man into a new creature. Now I want to turn to another passage of Scripture. It's over here in 1 Corinthians. And tomorrow we're going to continue this study. There's too much to go over to even possibly try to do this in one day. Let me read this for you. 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter. I'll begin reading for you in verse 51. Listen, I tell you a mystery. Pay attention today and tomorrow to that word mystery. The mystery is that we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. Now, what's that change that's being spoken of here? We must read the context and be very clear about what that change is. It is not a change from sinner to righteous. It is not a change when we face death so that we're made holy by death. Death is not our Savior. The blood of Jesus Christ is what has saved us. The blood of Jesus Christ is what has washed us. The blood of Jesus Christ has broken every bondage of sin over a true follower of Jesus Christ. Verse 52, In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound. Whoa, here we go again. You have a trumpet call, a loud trumpet call. The whole world is going to hear that trumpet call. The dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed, for the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. You see, it's not talking about morality. It's not talking about a sinner being changed into a righteous man or woman. It's talking about a new body, an immortal body. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is in the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. What victory? The victory over sin. 
You cannot wait until the second coming of Jesus and expect that when you are changed, you will be changed from a sinner to a righteous man or woman. If that change has not taken place, you will be left in your sin and you will be condemned to hell. That's the context of this passage. There will be a last trumpet. The trumpet will sound. The dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. He's speaking about those who are yet alive when Jesus comes. He's saying those who are alive when Jesus comes on that great day of redemption, there will be a loud trumpet. This goes with 1 Thessalonians 4.15 to 5.11. It also goes with 2 Thessalonians 2.1 to 13. I'm going to show you that it will go with all of the passages of Scripture that deal with the coming of Jesus Christ. We will be changed. That is, we who are alive will be changed and given an immortal body when Jesus comes. Not we will be changed from sinner to righteous. That's not what the Scripture says. That is twisting out of context, if you believe that. So death is swallowed up in victory. First, a man or woman is made righteous, no longer walks in any known sin, has the victory over all sin. And now as they are given an immortal body, death is also totally wiped out. And we no longer walk in any wickedness or death before Jesus. The sting of death is sin. That sting of death, which is sin, is going to be totally removed from us when he comes, but it will only be removed for those who have the victory in Jesus over all sin. Now, I know many of you have not been taught this. This is not what I was taught. I was taught that you just had to do your best. You had to try harder. I was told that you were saved by works and by faith. I want to tell you today you are saved by faith and faith alone. That we are not transformed by our labor and our works. We are transformed into the likeness of Jesus by the spilled blood of Jesus and by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit who sanctifies us wholly, that gives us a pure heart and a pure mind, that redeems us from the work of the devil. Now, I know many of you have not been taught this. 
I urge you to go back and read carefully these scriptures again. I want you to look at the passages of scripture and I'll read it for you just briefly. Matthew, the 24th chapter. The disciples say, when will this happen? When will Jerusalem be destroyed? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Watch out, Jesus answered, that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Christ and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen. But the end is still to come. The end, the end of time as we know it, is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. These are all just the beginning of birth pangs. Now he addresses what will happen with his disciples. You will be handed over to to be persecuted and put to death. But he also speaks about what will happen to us at the end of time. You will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith, that is the great falling away, and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets, many false pastors, will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Laodicea. But he who stands firm to the end. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Now, verse 22, if those days had not been cut short, No one would survive, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. Verse 27. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even to the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. The sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, the Son of Man, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory, and he will send his angels with a loud trumpet. Oh, wait, another, the loud trumpet. This is all the same thing. And they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. There is no secret rapture here. This is very, very public. Verse 36. 
No one knows about the day or the hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so will it be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. In other words, life was normal. Up to the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill, one will be taken and the other left. It does not say this is a secret rapture. The context is clearly a public coming of Jesus. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day the Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you must also be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour that you do not expect him. Well, we have looked at just a few passages that talk about the coming of Jesus. And these passages all agree. There will be a loud command. There will be the sound of the trumpet call. The dead in Christ will rise. Then the living elect will also rise in the air to meet the Lord. We are going to all be changed and transformed and given an immortal body. When? At the last trumpet. The dead in Christ will rise, and the living will be changed. I've shown you that in 1 Thessalonians 4, in 2 Thessalonians 2, in 1 Corinthians 15, and now again in Matthew 24. We need to be very careful that we are not led astray. You are going to go through a great tribulation, and that tribulation is now beginning upon the earth. Already the seals of God are being opened. Tell me, what do the Christians of China say about the Americans having a secret rapture as they're being executed for following Jesus? Or what do they say in Saudi Arabia or Iran or Iraq or Afghanistan as they're being beheaded? Where's the secret rapture for them? Are we so arrogant as American Christians to believe that we are not going to go through the suffering of the great tribulation? Talk to the Christians of Nigeria or Vietnam or many other places, India, with the radical Hindus executing Christians. Would it not be grossly unfair of God to let the world go through tribulation 
But we proud Americans think, oh, life is going to be great for us and we're not going to go through the tribulation. Are you kidding me? What kind of arrogance would hold that position? I tell you this. If there is a secret rapture, it should have already happened for the Chinese. It should have already happened for the people of Saudi Arabia and Iran and Iraq. Pastors in China taught that there would be a secret rapture before the Chinese communists took over China. And then when they were proved false, they went to their churches, some of them the following Sunday. And the congregation rose up against them and beat them with rods and chased them from the church because they had lied and given false hope to the church. Don't believe the lies. Strengthen yourself in the word of God and turn aside from all wickedness and search after Jesus with all of your heart. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenlee from the National Prayer Chapel. You can write to me, please. I'd love to hear from you, and I need you to stand with me. Write to the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Or go to my webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you, my brother and sister. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. Through Jesus Christ, our